out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Digital World with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. Importantly, they will discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo and help your organization move forward in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 and if you want to run with the game changers in the digital world, you're absolutely in the right place. Very excited to launch one of five brand new series airing on five consecutive Tuesdays, and today is the day we are bringing you Digital World with Game Changers. Very exciting. Our topic, let me give you a little clue here, Digital Road Warriors, Managing Top Talent on the Move. Let me get started. The buzz today, on the road again, no, I won't sing, or on the road still, Talking to everybody out there, are you looking to fast-track your career to what we used to call the corner office in a global organization? Well, you just might get there if you meet these three core requirements. Number one, listen up, take notes. Be a recognized top talent. Okay, you know if you are or you aren't. Number two, keep your bags packed for off-site travel on a moment's notice. Get in that taxi. Get in that Uber. Get on that plane. Go. And number three, and this may be key, smile very sincerely whenever the home office tells you you're being relocated to a foreign destination. Sounds so exciting, right? Not so much, according to 60% of what we call the mobile high achievers who resign within a year of returning home from a foreign assignment. That's right, 60% of those mobile digital road warriors just check out and they say, I'm not coming back. Question is, could HR systems and processors be at the heart of the problem? We have a panel of experts who are going to help us solve this question today. The experts speak. First up, I'm happy to welcome Michael Romero, a specialist leader at Deloitte Digital. And Michael has sent me a wonderful quote from Albert Einstein, who happens to be our most frequently quoted person with us or no longer with us on all of our SAP Game Changers radio shows. Here's the quote. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Hello, Michael Romero. How are you? Hello. How are you doing? Very well. Thanks for joining me on this very exciting debut of our new series. So, Michael, you picked an Einstein quote. How does this relate to our topic of on the road again, on the road still, and what's happening to our top talent on the move? Talk to me. Yes. When you talk about global mobility and uh, the expat world, when you look at the tool sets that we have to manage these these people, you know, like you said, our A players, the tools haven't changed a lot in the last 20 years. So keeping that employee engaged, connected, and not only getting the most of them when they're out on the road, but making sure they're secure when they come back is, is a big challenge. And I, the tools today still don't enable that engagement and keeping them happy. That's why you see a lot of them leaving within the first year of return. Michael, is it a question of when they come back, nobody welcomes them uh, with open arms and says, oh, that must have been such a great assignment. Show us your pictures in case they're not on Instagram and they don't like to post every 10 minutes on Facebook. Is it a question of showing them the love or you you think it's really the tools that are the problem? It's actually both. When you are on assignment anywhere from a year to three years, 
well, you know, out of sight, out of mind. So a lot of the network that you knew when you leave, uh, people get promoted, change. And so when you're coming back from your expat uh, uh, assignment, a lot of times you're actually having to look for that next role yourself. There's not assistance to say, hey, you know, thank you for going off and doing what you did, and we've got this great opportunity for you to return. It's up to the employee to then discover the next opportunity back in the home country, and it's a, it's a long process to find that next role. So they feel a little stranded and a little bit uh, forgotten because they've lost that network infrastructure while they were gone. Thank you very much. Good start to our topic, Michael Romero, and a shout-out to all of our, our good colleagues at Deloitte who help us find wonderful people like Michael to join the panel. Stacy Harris is our second panelist. She's a vice president of research and analytics for Sierra Cedar, and she sent me an original quote in her own words, the worst thing an organization can do is to try to keep, in quotes, keep talent. Stacy Harris, welcome. How are you today? Hello. Nice to be on the show, Bonnie. Thank you for joining us. Talk to me about your quote. Why is it the worst thing you can do? Try to keep talent. I thought that was the goal. They're top. You want to keep them. Why not, Stacy? Yeah, it's always, I, you know, I think the, the biggest challenge for a lot of organizations is they look at talent as something that they own. And I think the opportunity that we're seeing in the market today and, and the way the, the, the next generation of the workforce is thinking more openly about their careers and their, their goals and the approaches they want to take to their own personal lives is that organizations need to start thinking about their talent more in line with the idea of a uh, relationship and engaging them versus an asset that they're trying to keep. Um, and with that in mind, um, uh, you know, sort of bouncing a little bit off of what was said before, is that um, oftentimes people come back and they're like, well, how can we keep them, which is maybe different than how can we help them move on to the next step, enjoy wherever they're going, you know, finish off their plans. Um, and so I think there's a lot of opportunity organizations have to think differently about their talent. Interesting, Stacey. What you're saying reminds me a little bit of a marriage. People say, well, we didn't pay attention to each other. We got a little bit stale. Uh, she grew in one direction. He grew in another direction. You think there's a little bit of that marriage, same old, same old, uh, comfortable level where they just don't pay attention to the next step, the next stage of being a couple, and in this case, being an employee and an employer? What do you think? I think very much so. I think that's exactly a great uh, analogy to, to connect it with because um, a lot of times these new employees come back to their environments, as, as has already been mentioned, and they're finding that um, they're having to push uphill to get decisions made. They're trying to figure out how to make changes, and they're sort of being told, well, no, you've got to wait and understand the politics. Um, while someone externally looks a lot better to the organization, they're, they're more willing to listen to them, they're more willing to you know, think about what they're saying. And so, again, there's that internal conflict with, with the people that are inside and doing what's best for them versus sort of the people that are outside that you're listening to. And so there's an opportunity, I think, to really think about the relationship as uh, something you need to keep alive and, and keep moving forward. Out of sight, out of mind. We, we have a lot to talk about on that one. Thank you, Stacy. And joining our panel third up is Dr. Stephen Hunt, no newcomer to Game Changers Radio. He's been on several times, many times on our HR Trends with Game Changers series. Stephen is a senior VP of, of Customer Value at Success Factors, and Stephen is quoting Mark Twain today. Here we go. Broad, wholesome, charitable views of men and things cannot be acquired by vegetating in one little corner of the earth all one's lifetime. Stephen Hunt, how profound. Tell me what this all means. How are you? Good, good. Well, I just, I just like Mark Twain's comments. But I think the point there is we're becoming such a global economy and a global business, and there's really no substitution when it comes to being a global leader for 
traveling, spending time um, in other cultures, um, just giving people a broader understanding of business markets, business environments, and building relationships. And I think that what's happening is, one, you know, if you want to be a global leader, you've got to get out and start moving around the globe. Um, more companies are looking for that, and I totally agree with um, the other two panelists. When they come back, companies often lose these people because I think one of the things they also don't realize is by virtue of sending somebody on a global assignment, you've just made them a much more desirable candidate for other companies, and they've probably got a lot more exposure to other people, other global companies, because often on expatriate assignments, you're working with other expatriates from other companies that... Um, it kind of puts them in a whole different category of employee. And so I'm not that surprised that they continue to leave. As a matter of fact, I think the pressure to try to keep global talent is just get, get harder and harder as we become more of a global company, a global world. Interesting. So so back to my analogy uh, that I shared with Stacey Harris a moment ago, Steve, uh, one partner in the marriage has moved on. One partner has a more exciting life, is out there, in quotes, uh, attractive, looking like a good catch to other suitors, other companies. Would you agree with that? Are we on the track there? Yeah, I think it's a, they, they look. They're, they are more attractive. They have skills that they didn't have by virtue of the assignment, at least, or at least they're much more likely to have them. They've met other people. I do think also that they may not have maintained the networks as much. Although I think one of the things that's interesting on the the issue of leaving Thank the you. home office and coming back, I think that was a much bigger issue when companies were very much physical office-based, but as we were becoming more and more virtual organizations, the actual concept of home office doesn't mean as much. I won't say it doesn't mean anything. It depends a lot on the company, but in a lot of companies, if they're highly virtual, I don't really know how much of an impact the physical location has. I think it's more the experience. Okay, thank you, Steve. Great insights. Guess what? Steve knows what's coming, and for Michael and Stacy, this will be new. I'm going to ask you the key question here because you're part of our broader series called Coffee Break with Game Changers. What's in your cup today? Tell me a story. If there's nothing interesting you're drinking right now during the show, Michael, first, uh, what do you wish you were drinking after the show? Michael Romero, go ahead. Yeah, thank you. It's always fun to go first. Um, so actually, I'm drinking a protein shake. And the reason I'm drinking a protein shake is I'm actually in training for an event I discovered last year called Tough Mudder. It's a 12-mile obstacle course uh, driven uh, event. It's very fun. And, it, and their quote is, it's about team, not about time. And it's very similar to the people we're talking about, right? You're on a long journey and you run into obstacles along the way. And usually you have your team you're comfortable with around you that helps you through that process and obstacles. And, and Tough Mudder is very similar to that. A lot of obstacles you can't get through by yourself. You need assistance from team members. And, and so that's what I'm drinking today, and it's very relevant to what we're talking about here on the, on the conversation, is how do you maintain that team connection and people feel like they can reach out to team members to help them when they're in a, you know, a foreign country doing a new job and that they maintain that relationship when they come back. So uh, that's my long answer to protein shake, getting ready for my Tough mutter. Well, I, I love it. I don't know if I can pronounce it exactly the way you did and not get into trouble here. But my question, Michael, is what flavor is the protein shake? And is it cold? Is it warm? Do you blend it with ice cubes? What, what do you do to make it palatable or interesting? Uh, luckily, they're, they're very available now. It's uh, vanilla flavored, and you can buy them in most places. And there's uh, 100 different brands now. It's the new, it's the new soda, I would say. Oh, nice. Okay, vanilla flavored is good. Stacy Harris, what are you drinking? 
Oh, thank you, Michael, for going first. It is definitely easier to go second. Um, but I applaud you for, for doing the Tough Mudder. I've heard it's an amazing uh, event. I'm personally not doing anything quite so so courageous there. Um, I'm drinking a cup of hot uh, mint tea. Uh, mint tea is a really actually quite special drink for me. My grandmother growing up uh, in Ohio uh, had a, a beautiful orchard that uh, she managed for several years. And around her farmhouse was a, a bunch of mint that grew constantly. She planted it com- completely around the farmhouse with the idea that it kept the bugs away. So that was her, her one you know, wise tell to always tell everyone is pin- plant mint as many places you can. So it always reminds me of her, and it's always my favorite thing on my desktop. Oh, I'm a big fan of mint tea as well, Stacey. And funny thing, I'll go to a restaurant and time for a coffee, uh, whatever people are drinking, latte or, or a cappuccino, and I'll ask the waiter for mint tea. And they look at me with puzzled <laughs> eyes, and they say, do you want peppermint? And I think, isn't that the same thing? No. So they're very do, – do you run into that, too, where people – they hold up the tea bag and they say, we only have peppermint, we don't have mint. Am I, am I on a different planet, Stacey? No, no, you are true. They, they, they do that all the time. I'll have to say one of my very favorite places to go and get mint tea is in Amsterdam. I'm, I was there at the HR Tech Conference last year, and they do the infused mint tea at almost every restaurant you went to. And it was one of the few, few places I was able to go and had people actually – full sprigs of mint tea right in front of you infused. And so if you ever go to Amsterdam, get your mint tea there. They, they exactly know what it is. So, Oh, wonderful. Delicious. Thank you. Stephen Hunt, what's in the cup today? Uh, I'm drinking Stumptown coffee. It's made here in Portland. And uh, like Michael, my coffee kind of is related to the topic because I've been up since 3 a.m. because I had a call with Brazil, customers in Brazil. So I'm living the global lifestyle, even if I am actually at home this week. So um just pouring coffee down my throat trying to stay awake. <laughs> well, we, we need you, Steve, for another approximately uh, 48 minutes, and you sound wide awake, so just keep that caffeine coming. I'm only, they only let Bonnie have water on, on radio show days. Steve Hunt knows that. I, I can have my caffeine after, but definitely not before an SAP radio show. Guess what? We're going to go to a break. You've all earned it. Our topic today is Digital Road Warriors, Managing Top Talent on the Move. We've already dug deep into the topic. Great insights from Michael Romero at Deloitte Digital, Stacey Harris at Sierra Cedar, and Stephen Hunt at Success Factors. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and if you just tuned in, we are debuting a brand new series called Digital World with Game Changers, presented by SAP. We'll be right back after the break with a very interesting roundtable. Remember, we're talking about digital road warriors. You may be one someday. You want to know how to handle it? Stay tuned. Don't even think of touching that mouse. That app, that dial. We'll be right back. Brad out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The digital world is moving faster than ever, and the future will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. The definition of future success is being shaped by many factors, such as more digitally demanding employees, customers, and partners, an increasing variety of digital devices, resource scarcity coupled with data abundance, and extensive business networks and complex supply chains. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how the digital world can lead to a better future for everyone. Digital World with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
You're listening to Digital World with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show using Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Digital World with Game Changers. Are you a digital warrior yet? We just heard that tweeted. We see it at hashtag SAP Radio by our series sponsor, Brad Borkin, tweeting at B-B-O-R-K-A-N. You want to chat with Brad on Twitter? Just put hashtag SAP Radio in, and he will see it, and so will I. We're talking today about digital road warriors, managing top talent on the move. Very multifaceted topic, a lot to talk about. Our panel today is Michael Romero at Deloitte Digital, Stacey Harris at Sierra Cedar, that's S-I-E-R-R-A-C-E-D-A-R, if you haven't heard of it, and Stephen Hunt at Success Factors. We can spell that. We're going to kick off a 30-minute nonstop roundtable with Michael Romero. And, Michael, I'm looking at your notes. Here's a very interesting angle I'd like to start with. You say... Today, we live in the most generationally diverse workforce in history, and the trend will only grow. Global human capital organizations do not seem to be addressing the needs of this diverse and highly valuable employee base. Michael Romero, talk to me. Yes. uh, Deloitte just put out a human capital report that we do on each year. And in that report, it talks about the diversity of the workforce on a global scale. So today, you still have the baby boomers who are still energetic and wanting to contribute in, in the workforce all the way down through the, the millennials. And when you look at the, the workforce in some of the larger companies, you, know, you may have a certain job that's sitting in the Philippines and another job sitting in Germany and, and a, a base in the U.S. But when you look at the geographical as compared to the demographical perspective, you know, a lot of people could be in their 20s doing certain roles, and then in the other role, somebody's in their, their late 40s, early 50s. So you have that generational gap, but they have to work together. But how people learn today from a millennial perspective, they're usually in short bursts. You think of YouTube and Pinterest and all the stuff that they use mm-hmm. today. They're not used to sitting in a four-day training class to learn some type of a work process flow. So your tool sets that you need to enable this generational gap, and what's also happening is a lot of your people that are being sent international are that older demographics, but the people that are managing those people traveling are the young, younger demographics. So again, the way they communicate and they work together collaboratively needs to change. So whether it's the, the work process flow, the tools in which they utilize and how they communicate and engage with each other is very important. And so companies need to start addressing that instead of doing it the way they've always done it or get too Uh, forward thinking and do it the brand new way where the millennials accept it, but the baby boomers can't adopt. You have to have a a really good blend in your your business strategy. Thank you, Michael. Stacey Harris, join us. What do you think? Yeah, no, I I think it is a good uh, concept to have the blend and think about how people learn and about how they interact with your work environment. I think it's also important to, to keep in mind that this generation is really big on on their relationships as a learning tool as well. So one of the things that that I've seen across the board in research that I've done over the years has been that this concept of networking is such a powerful tool for not just the millennials, but but really for the whole entire next generation of our workforce, right, the generation behind them, uh, the generation Xers even, um, this idea that who they're connecting with and what they're getting from that person is as important as what they're learning sort of tactically from any of the work that they're doing. Um, great examples. I had a young lady who actually I just spoke with yesterday who had reached out to me 
almost eight and a half, ten years ago, um, I had hired her as an intern straight out of her uh, undergraduate program, um, working for me in my last uh, corporate job before I got into research. I did a fabulous job for me. She went on to finish her master's degree and Ph.D., and eight years later she connects with me on LinkedIn to say, hey, I'm just out here now. Um, you know, I've got my first, you know, real big corporate job. I'd like to connect with you. And we started talking about things that we were doing and how I could help her and how she could even possibly help me. And that kind of learning, I think, is just as important. Uh, so when we're talking about this next generation's talent, we really have to think about the fact that who they're connected with is, is as important as how they pick up information and where they're getting it from. Very interesting. Stephen Hunt, join us. Thoughts? Yeah, well, I think that's interesting because we've been talking a lot about this and success factors with our customers, um, that there seems to be a real shift that if you look at the traditional sort of approach to jobs, it was really about establishing contracts, that I have this formal commitment with you and we have sort of this paperwork and it's like kind of locking in. And now it's more about strengthening of relationships. So like in a way, it's becoming a blurred line between when I'm fully full-time working for you, I have a really strong relationship, but then I may move into part-time or I may take time off or I may come back, and we're becoming somewhat more fluid and dynamic, and it's so much easier to stay connected with people over time. It's actually funny. I had the same experience this morning. I got a ping from somebody on LinkedIn I hadn't talked to in probably 15 years. And, um, but, you know, it's like we, our, our paths cross through work again. And so I think this idea when you're looking at global leaders is really thinking more fluid in terms of if somebody comes back, even if they want to move on, don't think of we've lost them. More and more companies are saying maintain alumni networks and this idea of we need really solid relationships with talent. Now, that relationship may not always include being a formal employee, but just because they're not a formal employee doesn't mean we want to sever that relationship. We just need to kind of think of engaging them. And I, I really like you know, Stacey's comment, too. Don't try to keep people. Try to keep them engaged, which mm-hmm. is different than keeping them. Very different, a whole different concept. I don't know, Stephen, if uh, 15, 20 years ago we even thought in terms, HR organizations even thought in terms of engaging. You found somebody, you hired them, you told them what to do, they showed up, you did or didn't give them a bonus, maybe you gave them a raise, you might have given them a nicer office, and that was it. Who thought about engagement? And, of course, we didn't have LinkedIn back then. We didn't have all of these social tools. Uh, Things have certainly changed over the years and probably very dramatically in the past, what would you say, Steve, past five to to eight years, maybe? Yeah, in the last five or eight years. And I think almost like an analogy comes to me that it used to be that we worked in buildings with solid walls and no windows or very small windows. So if somebody left the office, you couldn't see them anymore. Now we work in buildings with glass houses. And you can still see people even if they're not in your office. Even if they've gone to a competitor, you can look across and still see them. It's just a much more visible world. And we need to embrace that visibility. Very, very fluid. You're right, fluid and visible. I have a question for the panel before I go to a very interesting comment in Stacey Harris's notes. My question is, we were talking, uh, Michael Romero, about the generationally diverse workforce. We've said many times on our HR Trends series here on Game Changers Radio that we have five generations working side by side. Side by side, of course, is a very loose term because they could be anywhere in the world working side by side. But my question is, is it a good move for HR organizations, for global talent organizations, to take a millennial? young and eager and learning and wanting to engage and wanting to see the world and making them a digital road warrior and turning them into an expat early in their career. Good move, bad move. I'm just curious. We don't have to talk about it too much, but just wondering. Michael and then Stacy and Stephen. Yes. Uh, first, I want to comment on the last subject that we talked about when we were talking about the individual connectivity that they were mm-hmm. talking about as a LinkedIn connection. I think sure. one of the challenges with corporations is the scalability 
of the engagement. It's easy to talk about one-off or you know, your network that you, you manage, but a lot of these companies have four, five, six thousand expats at any given time. So when you talk about engagement and communications and making them feel part of the organization, the key you have to realize is you have to have a very scalable solution set because when you're talking over a couple thousand people, it, 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 you get lost very quickly when trying to utilize the tools that exist today. So we have to rethink the way we engage these organizations and maybe even having the, the group that is out on the road starting engaging with themselves because a lot of times you have people that are both expats sitting in cubes next to each other and they never really connect because they're doing separate jobs. But uh, coming back to the, the generational conversation, uh, I think that – Sending people out early and learning a lot is very important, but it's, it's a double-edged sword. As you educate your workforce and they become more fluid and understanding the business models, they're also becoming more attractive to other organizations. So that's where the engagement model really comes into an effect of making sure they have a mentorship, people that they can talk to, not only where they're being uh, positioned in, in another organization, but also where they've left. So they keep that engagement. They keep that connection and network and feel part of the organization because once they get disconnected from that mentor, that person that's kind of growing them and giving them the opportunity, that's when the, the, the highly likelihood of losing them goes up exponentially. Thank you. Stacy. thoughts? Yeah, I think it's a, a good idea. What The caution I would put out there is that a lot of times organizations will take a few select group of people and say these are high potential, these are people we're going to invest heavily in. And oftentimes they might have a group of what we would consider B or C players in an organization that they have sort of semi-overlooked because in one point or time in their career they weren't at the right place to be high potentials. And so one of the, the things that we found in our research just recently in the last few years is that those organizations who think about what we call succession planning for their entire organization get a lot more out of it because they'll find people will go through different cycles in their life and they might be ready to make those type of moves maybe later in their life after they've had kids or after they've done something maybe dealing with personal issues at home. So I think it's a real good opportunity for an organization to not think about their high potentials only as those fast, young guys they've just brought into an organization, but as a, the whole plethora of their organization. Thank you. Yeah. Steve Hunt, thoughts? Yeah, I, I, I think that's a great point. I think same thing. I see the customers that are saying, look, we're trying to build talent across the whole organization. And this idea, too, of shifting and looking sort of long-term over careers, this, there was a book called Mass Career Customization a few years ago that was really a good discussion of that, that, allowing people to sort of step off of the high potential track, step back on. And I think one of the things, we talk a lot about millennials, but to me, the real big change that's happening right now is employing older workers. I mean, for the first time, I'd say that we've been employing people in their 20s for a long time. That's not a new thing for companies. I mean, yeah, there's some changes. For the first time in history, we're going to be employing like 25% of the U.S. workforce is going to be over age 55. And when you look at a lot of sort of global and movement, a lot of these people have tremendous experience. Those, a lot of these people still want to work, in some cases have to work, um, but it's going to be a different working relationship. So I think companies really challenging and saying, how do we need to think of it differently if we're employing people into their 60s uh, that may be more willing to move around, frankly, some cases, but also will have some other possible limitations and concerns that wouldn't affect somebody in their 20s or 30s. So I think that's, to me, that's a really fascinating area, and I think it's an area that doesn't get nearly enough attention. But before we know it, 25% of the workforce is going to be over 55, and uh, yes. we're going to have to do something. Yes, we, yes, we are. Do it now. 
Do it now, please. Okay. Thank you, Stephen, Stacy, and Michael. Stacy, I'm looking at your notes. Very interesting term is jumping out at me. I don't think we've heard it yet on the show. Let's talk about boomerang employees. You say a boomerang employee, in quotes, is a term every organization should be comfortable with and should be a strategic part of their recruiting process. And let me add one more sentence here. Alumni programs, I think Stephen mentioned that, combined with strategic workforce planning solutions could alter an employee's, I'm sorry, an organization's perspective of the boomerang employee. Who is a boomerang employee? Stacey Harris? So if you Google the term, you know, there's a couple of articles out there, but I think it's going to be picked up a lot more in the coming years uh, for many of the reasons that was just mentioned by Stephen and Michael. Um, boomerang employees really are those employees who basically have left your organization but who come back and many times come back as a stronger employee. Um, and, you know, there, there's this sort of angst when someone leaves your organization that maybe they've, they've betrayed you, especially if they go to a competitor, they go someplace you weren't expecting to go or you invested in them by putting them on these big assignments, right, or putting them into some high potential program. Um, but the real um, model, I think, that's starting to come around is that what people get to certain points in their lives, there may not be a position or a role in your organization. And so if you're not helping them figure out what the next move is, they're going to take it, and you should be open to them coming back, which is a really hard thing if you sort of ended the relationship not as on a positive note. And you might even want to orchestrate them coming back in a positive way. Again, not doing anything underhanded, but making sure that everybody's aware of what your plans are. So. Thank you. Stephen Hunt, thoughts, Boomerang employees? What's your experience? Um, I think that's the, the idea. I think it goes back to the idea of maintaining relationships, and alumni, I think, is the right point. I think that's actually a place where, uh, you know, there's a lot of technology that's available to maintain relationships um, that we didn't have before. I think we haven't really figured out how to use that appropriately. And I would encourage, you know, companies to start actually looking more at this idea of maintaining, for want of a better term, alumni. Um, how do you keep commitment? How do you keep connection with people so that it's not really feeling like they're boomerang so much? They just, I think it's naturally, I left for a while, I came back, we're moving around all the time. I just think it's, we have to accept and embrace a more fluid workforce. Stephen and, and Stacy, Michael, let me get you in on this, then I have a question for the panel. Michael, thoughts on the boomerang concept? Uh, yes, actually, uh, Deloitte. I must say, has a phenomenal program, both on Boomerang and alumni. I, I've worked at many companies over my 27 years, and they actually, I think, are a little ahead of the curve on that. They actually encourage that Boomerang aspect of it. A lot of people grow up here out of college. They learn a lot, and then they, they, they leave for years. But Deloitte has a great program to keep connected with them. And then also the alum, people that leave or retire, they keep a strong network because they see the value in that. And I think more companies need to adopt that, that strategy and put together the tool sets to, to enable that. Because a lot of times, I've actually talked to people that have been retired for years at Deloitte. I can reach out to them and, and ask them questions because they were doing certain things when they were here and they were perceived experts. So how you manage that is very, very key to growth of your organization. And uh, I, I think very few companies really have programs in place to do so. And the technology can do it. Yeah. That's the exciting thing. Yes. Interesting. I, I, want to talk, I want to expand this a little bit, Stacey, and, and have you and the other panelists chime in here. You talk about keeping the line of, of communication open with these employees, these, these people who have left. Even after they've left, reduces the risk of brand damage. Where would that damage come from? Is this when somebody negotiated a better deal outside, went back to your company and said, hey, I can get uh, you know 25K more for my first quarter bonus if I go to such and such. You want to match it? No. Well, blank, blank you, I'm leaving. Is that the, that the kind of brand damage you don't want out there? Tell me a little bit more about this, Stacey. 
Well, I think, you know, a lot of organizations, the, the, the idea of transparency, I just wrote a, a really uh, big blog on this recently, is that we live in a world where everything that, that you know, we can once consider sort of um, unsavory to, to, to share or, you know, nobody talked about their salaries, people didn't talk about, you know, what their roles were in an organization, whether they were high potentials, right? All of those kind of walls are being broken down now, right? And so this idea of, of stripping away um, the walls and being very transparent about things also means that your employees are sharing news and information. And depending on what you want that your company be perceived as, that news or information may not be seen in a positive light, right? Um, and that includes things like salary, includes things like negotiations, but it also includes things like how they were treated or, um, you know, what their experience was when they, you know, uh, in any kind of um, opportunity you might have given them. And so you brand is such a big thing in the environment in the world that we're living in today where Facebook, you know, we have 250 million, you know, data points uh, shared in any one minute that you've really got to think about it. Very interesting. I have a question for you, Stacey, before I get Stephen and Michael in on this one. Uh, are employees really grousing? I think that's a very old-fashioned word Stephen might remember. Grousing or grumbling or growling about a bad employee experience? Are they out there saying this on LinkedIn or Facebook? I know the rule of thumb is, and I think you've all heard of this, don't burn your bridges. You might meet the same people going down the ladder as you want to meet going up the ladder, that proverbial um, career ladder. Stacy. I don't think that they're grousing as much as they're sharing, and I think that's the that's the way we have to stop. We have to stop looking at it as something that if they're sharing information that they're that they're talking bad about a company. I think mm-hmm. they're sharing their experience with their colleagues, with their peers, with their friends, right? Because their network is so wide, right? And so each company has to think about that experience that that employee had. Is that something you're comfortable them with them sharing? It's not grousing, and that's a. I think that's a, a new thing we have to start thinking about in our companies is that these discussions aren't a bad thing. Good, good to know. Stephen Hunt, thoughts on, on this yeah, uh, idea I of brand control? What, yeah, what mm-hmm. Stacey said, I think it's, um, well, I mean, a couple of things. One, when you're talking, like we're talking about like global employees, you say, oh, I want a global leader with, speci- with expertise in a certain industry, you know, in a certain function. You're suddenly talking about a, pre- a much smaller population of candidates um, than I think a lot of companies realize. And these candidates do because they're all, they have a strong, what's happening to people have a much stronger professional identity. So they don't identify with the company they work for. They identify with, I'm a human capital management expert, if you will, or I'm a marketing, I'm like a retail marketing expert. And now suddenly you're getting into a much smaller community. So these people actually do all know each other. And recruiters know this too. You know, one of my friends who's a really good recruiter said, chances are the best candidate for a high skill position is two or three degrees of separation of the manager. The manager doesn't know him directly. The manager knows people who know them. So the word can spread, and I think it's not that people complain. It's more like they don't make recommendations, or they'll make passing comments, or they'll hear about a job, but they won't forward it on because they don't really respect the company and they don't want to, you know. So it's more like the, the emails that aren't sent, the phone that doesn't ring. It's not people actively mm-hmm. complaining. It's just them not helping the company. It's the absence. Michael Romero, thoughts? Yeah, well, and when you talk about uh, the the engaged employee and, and uh, then the the disruption employee that leaves, when you talk about the A players and the, the people you're sending off into a, an expat world, when they leave, it's not always about 
the dollars that somebody came in and offered them more money. Because I guarantee you, if it's an A player and you think highly of, enough of them to, to send them off into a, a project, there's a lot of other companies that already know who they are, connected on LinkedIn, are going to be talking to these people. But I, I actually have a colleague that was just moved over to the UK from uh, the States. And when I was talking to him about his frustration, it wasn't about pay, but it was about the fact that it was a life-changing event, right? He moved his family, his kids, and he's in this new country. And the tools that he has to understand, you know, where his relocation package is or his tax issues that are coming up or his W-2 forms filing for, there's so many things. It's a life-changing event that completely uproots your family and puts you in another location. And companies, I don't think, respect the level of change you're asking this person to make. And then when you, you don't keep that engagement and they don't easily have the connections to find out the information that is going to affect their life in a drastic manner, they start to become disgruntled employees. So when the person knocks on their door to bring them home to give them that better job, they feel better engaged because these people are recruiting them than the company they work for that they feel they're not engaged with. Not only are they not engaged with, they're not getting the answers they need that are affecting their life. And now their spouse is talking to them. It's affecting their children. So I think it's bigger than that when you talk about the, the expat world or the global mobility world as compared to the overall general engagement with employees. Thank you. Stacy or Steve, anything you want to add to the, the point that Michael just brought up? Well, I, I would just say, Michael, I think he's really right. You have to remember, too, on the employee perspective, this is a, going overseas. This is a massive change to their life. It's significant impact. It's a major cost for the company. And I do think, especially when you get a couple levels away, people sometimes lose sight of that. They just think I'm moving names around on an org chart. And, you know, these are people and their families, and how you treat them is going to have a really big impact Um Obviously, on that, it is more about did you make this move something that was easy, or did you sort of like just throw me into this other place with no support? And I've seen, I think, big global companies have been doing this for a long time. For example, I'll take SAP, my employer. They do, for the most part, you know, global relocation very, very well because they've done it for years. Um, I've also seen smaller companies that are sort of expanding to the globe. They do not really understand the full magnitude of what it takes, and they kind of. as a result, you can lose some really talented people. So I think that's something, you know, if you're a smaller company that's growing and becoming global, spend some time with a big global company and try to understand what it takes to make that move a happy one and not a painful one. Great point, If I can Steve, comment on Steve's like, comments, yeah, um, you know, sure. Deloitte has a pretty significant practice around the global mobility space, and I've been engaged with a couple of large organizations that have thousands of expats right now. And I'm really surprised by the lack of tools and the lack of engagement for these employees and the process, the manual process in which they manage these thousands of employees and and the lack of work process flow and communications. So, you know, I think there are some companies that have been doing a while and do it fairly well. But what I've found is the majority of, of companies, large companies, don't have the tool sets and don't have the process flow and the communications and the engagement necessary even though they may have 5,000 people within their, their workforce that are expats. So I think that we have a long way to go. And when you look at the tool sets out there from a technology perspective, they're, they're all transactionally based solution sets. There's really not an overall solution that connects all these pieces. So when you're sitting in a foreign country and you need to look up where you're at for relocation or where your taxes are, or your, your next pay stub, you're dealing with a local HR person. You lost your, your HR person you knew back in the country you're in. So it's, it's still very fragmented in the majority cases. And so I think that, you know, a strategy to help tie these pieces together and help these companies, you know, get on the right track is very, very important. And we're, we're in the middle of an evolution in that space. 
I, I, I guess I build an evolution because I'm saying as you're talking, Mark, I'm thinking definitely, but I think the social technology we're seeing is really helping there. I don't think we fully figured out how to optimally use it, but that's definitely, at least within my own company, because we were big users of social technology, our own tools, um, it's really helped with the connectivity, but I still think there's a long way we can go just because it's new. We never had it before, and no one's figured out how to use it yet. Exactly, and there's so many tools. How do you use it, right? I mean, when you talk about a Yammer compared to a LinkedIn compared to a Facebook, I mean, there's so many ways to communicate today. I think there hasn't been a solidified way. And then when you talk about the generational gap between a millennial or a baby boomer, the tools in which they use to communicate are different. You know, and, and so, yes, I think we, we're starting down that path, and there's some tools that are coming out. But, again, integrating all that together and, and creating kind of a, a, a platform that is widely used is going to be the, the challenge of organizations like the people on the phone here moving forward. Thank you. You know, I, I want to get back to the technology topic a little more deeply. Uh, Steve, Steve Hunt, I'm looking at your talking points here, your notes you sent me. And very interesting, I want to bring this up. I think it's the perfect time in the conversation. You say technology can enable more effective manager behaviors, but it cannot make people be good managers. Let's take the flip side. You get the technology, you have the right tools, you know how to use them. What's the downside here, Steve Hunt? Well, I think one is thinking the technology is going to do the work or the process is going to do the work. You could have the technology, like good social technology, um, whatever, the tools, but you've got to get people to actually get in there and use it. And that's where I think a lot of the leadership behaviors be really, really, become really, really important. Certainly we've seen that on social technology. If What leaders do in a company and how they interact is going to become more visible. So if you have, like, if you have, for example, an expatriate community sort of social hub in your, like, JAM is the technology we use, the SAP sort of social technology, having senior leaders in there and part of the discussion is going to be really, really important. If they don't use it, they don't leverage it, it's not going to work as well. So, you know, really thinking about what do we need managers to do in terms of their behaviors and actions? Uh, it's the same thing when you look at things like succession management. Uh, when I see a lot of the problems with companies with succession management with global high potentials, the issue is that people will identify them as high potentials. They'll be on the radar. HR may do a great job about it, but then they'll come back and the business leaders will go, ah, I want to hire the person I know. You know, I'm not going to follow the process at all. And so the process doesn't work. It's not that the process couldn't work. It's that line leaders aren't held accountable for sort of fulfilling the commitment they're making to employees by saying, you know, if you're a high potential and you go here, we're going to give you special treatment. Then they don't. And the employee comes back and says, well, you know, you told me you're high potential, yet I'm just being passed over by people that are in your personal network. Why should I stay here? So I think so much of it is about really forcing accountability um, not in a negative way, but I think accountability, and it really comes through leadership behavior. As act the leaders, so act the people underneath them. Well put. Stacy Harris, I know you have some HR system survey information mm -hmm. from Sierra Cedars. Let's see if we can sneak this in before we go to break. I'm just going to read up a little bit here. You say only 34% of organizations have adopted a succession planning application in compared to in comparison to 86% who have a talent acquisition ap application. Why don't you expand this a little? I think we might skip the break if we go too deep into this, but that would be fine. Go ahead, Stacy. Okay. 
Yeah, no, I think this is a really telling uh, statistic, which is that, you know, we're so in, in, invested in recruiting people, right? We're not that invested in, in, in thinking about the talent that we have in place, right, and thinking about what their plans are, which is what succession management tools, good ones, do, right? And so uh, a lot of organizations are still trying to figure out, you know, they do succession management in PowerPoint and Excel spreadsheets with their, just their top uh, players. Even the largest organizations are still doing this, and those who do use them maybe only use it for the top 10 or 20% of their organization. So what we're seeing is that the succession management tools that organizations push throughout their entire organization that look not just at who's going to take what roles, but what does that person need and what are their opportunities and what's their development goals, those type of programs really have a big impact. And our, our survey definitely shows that that value chain and the, and the outcome financially goes up when organizations do that. The other piece of it, I think, is that only about 44% of organizations who even have that succession management application integrate that with a talent management system. So how can you honestly do succession management if it's not connected to what's happening with your uh, recruiting, your learning, your performance management plan process as well. So those are, I think, really important topics for organizations. Good point. Michael Romero, thoughts on succession planning? Uh, I, I agree with what she's saying. You know, the tool sets are, are fragmented, and then even within the tool set itself, how do you make sure that you have a process flow? Because right now the challenge is, is strategy and process driving the, the evolution change, or is it technology and your, your strategy and process has to fall into the technology roadmap that you, you're, you've adopted? So that's where the question is, because not only are you talking about succession planning and you're talking about your HR system, but you then have an immigration system and a relocation system and an award system. And again, it's, it's fragmented transactional-based solutions. So your process and your strategy of connectivity it gets fragmented just in the how you communicate and engage with these, these employees. So when you're talking about succession planning, there's a lot of aspects of those other tools that fall into that, but they're not connected, so they're hard to uh, manage and they're hard to continue with that single employee in a single manner. Steve Hunt? Yeah, I think it's the same sort of, I think we're kind of going on the same basic themes, which is the the technology and sort of the understanding how to use it. I think that... Um, when I look at companies using technology, I mean, there are a couple places. One, I think that point of tying the technology together, because what happens now is technology, it can enable integration, but it also makes it really painful when there is an integration, and that becomes very, very frustrating. It goes back to the earlier comment that, you know, people on these expatriate assignments, it's, you know, on one hand, it sounds fun and glorious. On the other hand, it can, it's really difficult, especially for the, non, for the non-employee, for the spouse and their family, and so... Anything you can do to make it more efficient is going to help a lot because there are going to be more heightened sense of frustration. And then I think related to it, too, that, you know, you can get the technology in place, but you have to make sure people use it correctly and know how to use it. Um, and that includes back in the home office. And I think that's one of the things, too, where I think my sense is, and I don't have any research on this, that companies that have large numbers of virtual employees tend to do global stuff better because they're used to being highly responsive to people that aren't in the office. I think companies that have large centralized offices tend to struggle more because the employee says, look, I can't walk over to your desk and ask for help. When I, put a, when I log a ticket or I whatever, email or whatever, that that's really is, as a, as, that that's really needs to be taken seriously because that's how I'm communicating. I can't walk over to you and grab your attention. So I think lots of times in companies that have very large sort of you know, centrally located offices, it becomes even more of an issue because people don't recognize that a message from a global employee needs to be taken really seriously because they can't walk over physically and ask. 
And I think that's an issue I've seen a lot. And I think virtual companies that are more virtual tend to do that better just because they're used to managing virtual relationships. Thank you. You know what? We're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, we're going to look forward to, I like the year 2020, but I don't know what my panel sees in the crystal ball. I know they polished it off before the show and got ready for our predictions round. So when we come back in about 90 seconds, I'll be asking Michael Romero at Deloitte Digital, Stacey Harris at Sierra Cedar, and Dr. Stephen Hunt at Success Factors to look ahead into the future and tell us what they think will be different about this topic. Digital road warriors, will we still be using that terminology? Managing top talent on the move, will it get better? If so, how and why? I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We'll be right back after the break. You don't want to miss these predictions. Fred Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. The digital world is moving faster than ever, and the future will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. The definition of future success is being shaped by many factors, such as more digitally demanding employees, customers, and partners, an increasing variety of digital devices, resource scarcity coupled with data abundance, and extensive business networks and complex supply chains. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how the digital world can lead to a better future for everyone. Digital World with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. listening to Digital World with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show using Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Digital World with Game Changers topic today is digital road warriors managing top talent on the move and we're going to move quickly into our predictions round looks like we have about seven minutes left to the show so i'm going to be a good mommy and divide and conquer evenly let's start with michael romero at deloitte digital i understand formerly sap michael what do you see in the crystal ball can you take this topic forward to the year 2020 or where do you see clearly i'm going to give you two minutes for your predictions go my prediction, the consumerization of enterprise applications will only continue to accelerate, and I think that the wearable uh, technologies are going to really change the way we engage and can communicate and stay connected. So that consumerization is going to make these, these tools easier to use. Somebody can manage their full portfolio, call a ride, you know, check their flights and everything from consumer apps, but yet on the enterprise side, we've still got big, clunky uh, applications that require you know, a, a laptop. So... My predictions is things are only going to get easier. They're going to become more consumer-focused, and I think that people are going to improve on their engagement and connection into their A players. 
Good points. I, I want to expand that a little. We have a little time left in your two minutes for wrap-up here, Michael. Wearables, do you think there might be some wearable applications coming up specifically for expats? Something about, hey, you need to figure out the tax code or how are you going to get your W-2 in time or uh, what's the best way to convert money and you've only been here for three months? Oh, something that is more personally applicable to an expat and, and give them some a fun way and a personalized way to cope with, as Steve Hunt was mentioning, it's, it's hard for the family, especially if, if it's a whole family moving and, oh, my God, where are we? What country are we in? It's Tuesday. Any thoughts on that, the future of wearables for expats, Michael? Absolutely. I think that uh, the technology is going to only continue to grow and, and uh, revolutionize. Usually, if you look at, and this isn't meant to be an uh, information for Apple, but with their iWatch coming out, the capabilities of where smartwatches are going or the wearable technologies are just accelerating at a rate where enterprises are going to realize how to take advantage of these. And there's platforms and tools out there that are already being built to manage those wearable technologies and give you those type of interfaces for the employees. So maybe your iWatch, you know, or your, your smartwatch, you know, connects with you and, you know, once a week says, how are you doing? Hey, uh, you know, can we help you with anything? And you can respond very quickly and easily based on your mobile technology that's connected to your body. That's going to be a great way to stay engaged with employees. Maybe there's fun ways to communicate to them, reward them because a rewards system is very important. But yes, I definitely think the wearable technology is going to make a big change in the next uh, 10 to, uh, I'd say five to 10 years. Very exciting. I love that prediction. Stacy Harris at Sierra Cedar. You've got two minutes. How far in the future would you like to predict, Stacy? So I'm going to look out probably maybe about five, ten years out because I think, and, and I'm a researcher, so I look at the good and the bad side, right, glass half full, glass half empty, because I think there's going to be some positives about where we're heading, and then there's going to be some negatives. So I'll start with the negatives first because I think that's a piece that we all have to be aware of and keep in mind, right? I think the, 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 this model of, of, of moving talent, right, this model of this concept of trying to keep talent is going to get even more um, contentious in our organizations as the next five, ten years grow because the talent pools are going to get smaller and smaller for the very specific positions that we have in most organizations. So we're going to see a lot more cases and situations where we're going to see things like the recent, you know, lawsuits against uh, the large IT organizations like Apple and Google and Intel about their backdoor, you know, relationships where they were trying to cap salaries and keep talent within organizations. And you're going to see more of that type of how can we um, hinder what's happening with all of the information flow across all these various talent groups. I think you're also going to see a lot of organizations struggling with the fact that um, they may not want to start developing people. They're not going to invest in people because they're afraid that they'll be leaving them as well. You can see some of that, I think, come to fruition as these really talented people start moving around organizations. I think on the flip side, the transparency issue is going to become huge across organizations over the next five to ten years. And so that's going to actually push us in a whole different direction, which is going to be more open conversations with employees about where they want to be. Technology, all the mobile and um, uh, tools that we have available at our fingertips are just going to make that transparency even more important. And so you're going to start to have real conversations with employees about things like, you know, um, you know, roles they have within your organization or roles that maybe are with a partner organization that meet their needs better than what's going on within your organization. Those kind of conversations, are, I think, are going to start to become common for organizations. Um, and I also see that down the road, talent is going to start um, become a much broader term. We may even get rid of the word talent and think about various groups of skill sets and people within organizations who have needs across their various life 
changing um, aspects of what's happening from, you know, the time they get out of college all the way up to the time that they're not into retirement but maybe into a contingent workforce model. So I think all of that stuff's going to change as well. So I don't know if that gives enough detail or if you want some further insight on that. No, that's great. That's great. And I'm thinking of an old song. I don't know anybody on the panel will remember except me. Uh, It was by Tennessee Ernie Ford, 16 tons. And what do you get another day older and deeper in debt? St. Peter, don't you call me because I I something or I owe my soul to the company store. Those days are gone, long gone. Stephen Hunt, nothing to do with you and me being anywhere in that age range. But, my dear, it's time for your predictions. Two minutes. What do you see in the crystal ball, Steve Hunt? Um, I mean, I, I think one of the things I sort of mentioned about is, is you know, we're going to be older as a, as a general. We talk a lot about, you know, but there's, there's going to be a lot more older people. Um, and it's even, it's bad in the United States, it's even worse in Europe. Somebody, you know, it's, it's, and I'm wondering how the combination of much older workforces, uh, the growing gap between skilled and unskilled labor, and this greater sort of movement of talent around there is going to impact legislation. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think we may see some... Hopefully not, but we could see some really backlash legislation about preventing immigration, making it more difficult to move people around, much more difficult to kind of re-engineer and relocate workforces. You definitely see this in um, certain countries that's stronger than others, like in Japan and Germany and France. You know, it's it's much harder to, in some ways, have a mobile workforce because it's harder to move people around at a certain level um, because of legal requirements. Mm-hmm. So I think we may see some really... Uh, interesting discussions around the politics of labor and how it's moved around globally. Don't quite know what that looks like, but I think that's going to come and it's going to be tied to aging workforces and uh, and unemployment and unskilled segments of the labor force. So um, it's going to be interesting times. Very interesting times. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Stacy, And thank you, Michael. I have my own predictions. I'll do them real fast. Tomorrow morning, 11 a.m. Eastern, I'll be back with a live edition of Coffee Break with Game Changers, our flagship show. 3 p.m. tomorrow, we'll be back with a new edition of the Customer Edge with Game Changers. Thursday morning, 10 a.m., we will hear from the folks at the Future of Business with Game Changers. And next Tuesday, in this exact time spot, 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific, yawn. Get up for it. We're going to debut another new series called Transforming Your Business with Game Changers that will share this time slot with this show, Digital World with Game Changers. Want to make sure everybody got that. Thank you to Michael Romero at Deloitte Digital. Thank you to Stacey Harris at Sierra Cedar. Thank you to Dr. Stevens Hunt at Success Factor. Shout out to Brad Borkin, our sponsor. I have 30 seconds. I can do it, Brad. I can do it. Brad Borkin at SAP, thanks for putting this new series together. Carla Neal at Deloitte, thanks for all your support and help. And our own Brad Comer at the World Talk Radio, Voice America, and the Business Channel team. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Great debut to our new series, Digital World with Game Changers. Here's my call to action. You know what it is. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. And I mean you. Talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Digital World with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.